both these guys are, are passionate about both, you know, worship and justice. And we're just so excited to hear your heart uh, this afternoon in this interview. So um, most people who do interviews, they kind of like to, to climb in at the shallow end. But I want to go and, and jump straight in the deep end and ask you some questions. So starting with you, Ben, uh, how often do you get your hair cut? Because that is beautiful. Uh, yeah, I, um, every th three or four weeks, probably. Yeah. I have to, because, uh, you know, in the Bible it says, <laughs> to love covers a multitude of sins, so does this haircut. And um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we're, I'm we're reaching an age now where it's, it's going, and I, I keep on praying more, Lord, but um, it doesn't... <laughs> You know, people think it's about spirit. Do you it's like anybody hair. touching your hair? Are you, Don't okay? touch my hair. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. And do you style it yourself? Or? I um, do yeah. style it myself. What's your process? No, I, saw, I saw him just before we came on. He's quite, he's yeah. quite serious about it, aren't the, yeah. the gel came out and stuff. It was quite... Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's actually, I found this new product. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's, it adds volume. Um, <laughs> Because in the Bible it says, the Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? Yeah. Last time I checked, I wasn't, I've been talking to the Lord all the time, but I also talk to people, so I've got to look good, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't waste the talent. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, mine? What's your rituals um, like with your hair? There's two stages for me. Two stages, all right, okay. There's the, there's the top, which would be like a monthly thing. Just, yeah. you know, just a little, do you know what I mean? Just a little yeah, freshen yeah. up. But the sides would be like fortnightly. Fortnightly. Yeah, so there are two stages and I have to keep on it. Yeah. Do you have like a local salon you go to? Is oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's called Barnett's. Barnett's, which yeah. Which is, what a brilliant name, isn't it? Let's go there, guys. Um, and it's a, it's a gents, purely gents, right, gents yeah. hairdressers, just opposite St. Peter's Church in Brighton. 12 pounds. In and out, 20 minutes. Great. There you go. Sounds good. Yeah. Barnets. I mean, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. In the context of worship and justice, anyway. That's good. I told you I was going to the deep end. Yeah, it's good, though. So you were talking, Ben, earlier about skinny jeans and the importance of that. Yeah. So what's... It was one of my points, Martin. I don't know if you... Okay. The, how a worship leader now needs to uh, use skinny jeans to uh, call people into the presence of God. It, it just... <laughs> It helps, no? So what's your favorite clothes shop then? Um, I have two, like f two for my um, different sorts of personality. <laughs> um, so, you think a lot about this. <laughs> yeah, no, so like if I'm like, hey, how you doing, what's happening? It's like Ben Gooley. I'll wear All Saints for that mood. Yeah. But if I'm like in a business meeting and um, then I'll, I'll wear Ted Baker. Oh, and, wow, yeah. Um, and I will uh, then, but what I like about Ted Baker is, um, which I'm not wearing a Ted Baker jacket now, but um, if you wear, if you buy Ted Baker, they always have like a little um, fun bit, you know, in the lining. Yeah. So it's like, I'm serious, but I'm fun. <laughs> um, and it's seriously fun. Hello. <laughs> How about you, Mark? <laughs> well, I, I don't really like going shopping that much, so... Right. For a bloke, it's just you just need one shop, don't you? Yeah. And and it. Peacocks. Would, yeah. <laughs> TK Maxx. That's me. <laughs> um, 
So I remember like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, go finding the very first All Saints in yeah. Brighton and it had, you know, those belts with like Jesus rocks yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I remember those, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, we found a Christian shop. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I still believe it is. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you, okay, a couple, more, couple more questions like this. Uh, tell love us life or what, what's, what, where are we going now? Favourite restaurant? Yeah, I um, knew you'd like that. Oh, I love restaurants. <laughs> uh, if, I'm with, if I'm with the kids, Wagamama's because of the speed. Right, because... At different times, you get yeah, it. Because, you know, when you've got younger kids, getting that, that noodle kids thing out in yeah. about three minutes is really important. It's incredible, yeah. Um, so I like, I like that, but there's some good restaurants in Brighton. Yeah. Okay, so restaurants is my thing. Yeah. I, just, <laughs> I, I adore restaurants. Can I give a few? Please do. Right, yeah. if I'm in a dirty northern mood, you can't beat a Greg's. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's, um, uh, it's good. Um, then in J. Alexander, there's a, in Nashville, Tennessee, there's a restaurant called J. Alexander's. And that's really where I first met Jesus. Um, <laughs> and uh, some ribs. I fell yeah. down, I cried before the Lord, I said, you are real. <laughs> uh, I do declare. And it was emotional, and I found my wife, and I was like, I love you. I loved everyone that day. Um, and, um, but actually, one of my favorite restaurants in the whole world is actually in Nottingham, and it's called The World Service, and it is, it's pretty epic, actually. The World um, Service. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah, not much uh, of a cheer, if you've but... never, I know, because <laughs> it's, I, I have to be taken there. I don't yeah. go myself. Because yeah. um, uh, they, they actually do mortgage um, uh, applications <laughs> on the bill process. <laughs> do you want this in 12 easy step payments? <laughs> Great, thanks for that. Oh, no worries, no worries. <laughs> okay, finally, guys, um, before we go into serious things, uh, this, is, this is a tough one. Your favorite worship album of all time. And you're not allowed to say King of Fools. Or cutting edge, <laughs> Ben. I think the Empire's record is brilliant. The Hillsong yeah. United one, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Very creative. Yeah, very good. Do, you, do, you, do, do we have listen, that on sale anyway? Do you, you don't listen to worship <laughs> music, do you? I um, uh, <laughs> I I you, don't think I've. Oh, I don't think I. Bon Jovi. Um, no, I, I really like oratorio, so I buy oratorio music, I like that sort of thing, or Gregorian chants. Um, That's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's just calming and peaceful. Um, no, I like the, I like this Hillsong stuff, I do like Hillsong stuff, I like um, Bethel stuff and Jesus Culture and Martin Smith, I like all that. Um, <laughs> I think, do you know, it's, is there a, was there an album called Blessed of Those Who, ble, Blessed, a Hillsong Blessed album? A really old one. Yeah, like, it's Blessed like that, yeah. are those who dwell in your house. Yeah. I thought that you worked. Like that <laughs> can't the be, you can't be the old school stuff, can you? God, it's glory. <laughs> Darling Chet. Yeah, she was. You've done some stuff with Darling. Yeah, I've done a few things with Darling. Yeah, yeah she's things. cool. Um, what, what's your favorite worship record? Oh, it'd have to be uh, Come Now Is The Time. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Or surrender. Yeah. All who are thirsty. <laughs> We're at a vineyard conference after yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know your audience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Vineyard's pretty awesome for me as well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been pretty changed by Vineyard stuff, really, over no, the years. King, King of Fools, that was, when I was at university, that was, uh, yeah. by Delirious, that was just all the, all the rage, that was, everyone was listening to that. Does anyone remember King of Fools? There we go. A couple of those tonight, shall we, shall we have? Yeah, okay. Song requests? Very good. Um... So guys, we'd love to hear a bit of a snapshot of your, of your stories. So just starting off with, if you could tell us about uh, where you're from, a bit about your family, and, uh, and also um, how you met Jesus. M me, right. first. Why don't you go? <laughs> okay, I... Um, <laughs> fine. Yours is going to be more exciting. Mine go first next time. <clears throat> so um, I told him today, I, I told you... Um, I grew up in the northeast. My uh, mom and dad um, kind of left the church with uh, two of their families because uh, the church started speaking against the Holy Spirit and about how the, the Holy Spirit was only around in the, in the time of the Bible. And so they were like, no, we believe that miracles and healing and uh, salvation can happen, and so they start a church up in the northeast of England. It was called Emmanuel at the time, and um, it grew quite quickly, and it ended up in a, you know, it was like eight, nine hundred in a, uh, built a 1,200-seater, like it was quite a dynamic church, salvation every week, wow. you know, it was like um, amazing growing up in that. Um, actually, Martin played there uh, <laughs> um, with Delirious a couple of times, I think. And um, so I grew up in that and then, uh, then moved to Manchester to train as an opera singer. Uh, my wife's called Debbie, you all know that because I talked about Debbie. But um, what do you want to know? Do you want to know how I started Hope for Justice or what? what we'll we'll get to that. Okay, so <laughs> that's, yeah. And I've yeah. always grown up in a family that, I mean, one of the things that, um, which why I love being a dad so much is because a lot of what, I've grown up in, and the environment that I've grown up in has totally and utterly influenced who I am. So it's kind of like my dad and my mom have allowed me to be this kind of eccentric, kind of, you know, it wasn't squashed in me. Mm. I, I don't know if, like when, when I was a kid, a lot of the people would say over my life, they would say, hey, don't encourage him because he'll get proud. Or don't encourage him, or don't say that to him because he'll walk out the, the, um, the room, you won't be able to walk out of the room because his head is so big. And my dad kind of like squashed that in people around me because they were like, no man, the Bible says encourage one another daily. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, allowed me to be big. He allowed me to be audacious. He allowed mm -hmm. me to dream big. And I kind of, you know, I am a byproduct of that. And my dad and my mom, you know, I, I'm forever grateful for them speaking over my life, words of affirmation. Yeah. And I, I think that's now our time and our, to do that. You know, words, I, words create. When we use our words, they aren't just for communication, they create something. Mm. It's amazing the power of a word that's spoken into someone's life, particularly as a child. And my mom and dad always, you know, like they would, they would look at the news and they would say, what do you think God would say about that? Mm. 
and allowed me to start thinking that not only uh, was I fearfully and wonderfully made, but I had a place and a, a seat at the table to speak into the world and to create something that might not have been yet. Wow. And um, like you booked Wembley Arena, didn't you? Uh, the Nanny's, NEC Arena. NEC, how old were you? 26 years Tell old. Tell us our story. 26, and he booked, the Wem he booked an arena. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> with no money and with no... no money, no. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'll have to... Respect. Yeah, so I... I um, so then I moved over to Manchester, and I started being... A, I was a worship leader in my church, and um, it's a small local church, like 300 people. And I, um, <clears throat> I was volunteering for an event. I didn't even know what the event was about. Uh, it was run by a woman called Marion White, and Andy Hawthorne's wife was involved, Michelle, and several other people. And I walked into this building, and uh, I heard about this issue called um, modern slavery. Heard millions of people were caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year are sold, two children every minute. And I walked out of that building that night, and I thought, if that was my daughter, I'd do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. They are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the NEC Arena. And um, I went around, it was, it was hilarious. I mean, honestly, I didn't know nothing about doing an event, nothing. I mean, I had my dad pick up John Foreman from the airport. And like, uh, and like he had my kids, you know, stuff in the car and didn't know that you needed to host people and didn't know about uh, that. I didn't even know what that was. And on 270,000 pounds, that's a lot of money. Wow. And, um, but I had this audacious dream that pe yeah. the church needed to know about. And thanks to people like Martin supporting me and Tim Hughes, and we got 5,884 people to our first wow. event. You know, you know that song, sorry, I'm not, I'm not okay, different. You know that song, you know, You Make Me Brave, the Amanda Cook song, I love that song. But, you know, it, it's not enough just to sing it, is it? Um, and I, li I like it that you were brave. Oh, thanks. And that's the thing is, you actually got to be brave, haven't you? Yeah, you do. So, well done. Yeah. So, Martin, tell us about your journey of faith. When, when did that yeah. begin? Um, my mum and dad are Christians. Great, great upbringing, great family. But it was very non-charismatic. So I was brought up in the church called the Brethren Church. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. I've got three in, people anybody's, there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like a tiny little chapel with 80 people and very small, um, but never really heard about the Holy Spirit, never heard about miracles, or I remember my grandfather sitting me down and saying, miracles are not for today. And I remember him looking, in, looking me in the eye, saying, you mustn't believe any of that stuff. Hmm. So, but really, having said that, really godly, faithful people, and uh, a lot of love in the house, so it was only when I left home at 17 that I started going to this church uh, in Eastbourne, this crazy church where people were lifting their hands and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and I actually just knew deep down in me that this was, this was great. And I knew that they had something that I didn't. So that was a fantastic journey for me. And uh, while I was there, um, one of the guys said, oh, have you ever led worship? And I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. He says, well, just can you do it this Sunday? Right. So, 
not a bad thing. You had it? no idea. <laughs> so I played a bit of guitar, wow. and I led worship. Wow. And it was terrible, it was awful, but it was the beginning, and you know, I felt the Spirit of God upon my life, and uh, sometimes that's just enough, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, and then all the rest of it comes in time. But So amazing. Um, I met my wife shortly after that, who was uh, part of this crazy charismatic church uh, on the south coast near Littlehampton. So I married into that, and her dad was running the church, and that was the birth of Cutting Edge, really, and, and the whole sort of doing big worship stuff on the beach, and it was, it was great days, yeah. Amazing. So both of you have kind of touched a little bit on this, but the whole idea of calling, and Ben, you were talking about that this morning, about vision, having a vision for your life. So could you kind of explore that a little bit with us about how, how do we um, here get a calling? How do we begin to walk out our calling and get a vision for our lives? And, and just kind of some of the lessons you've learned in that for, for us all to, to listen to. Mine? Yeah, I, I think that um, sometimes it's a bit simpler than that. I think that if, if each of us, and you guys try and do this tonight, maybe look across your day, think about what you've done the most that day, you know, or over a week, you know, whether you're a reader or a prayer or you just like being outdoors or you like watching TV or watching movies. Think about the thing you sort of naturally love doing the most. And I would say that's probably something to do with your calling. Mm. Because if we go on the premise that God doesn't ever sort of mess up when he makes us, you know, that he's made us uh, perfectly for a reason. Mm. And so I really believe in that, that, that in each of you guys there'll be something that, do you know what, I, I think that's linked to my calling. Whether it's looking after kids or preaching or, or politics or whatever it is. That thing that you sort of, you naturally buzz about. Mm. Uh, and the reason you buzz about it is because that's what God's put inside of you. And then that's what makes it unique for each of us. Um, and when you sort of go on that track, then, then life actually becomes really easy. Because you end up doing what you love. You end up doing it for God. And then he's called you to it anyway, so you nothing to worry about. <laughs> I kind of think um, one of the great challenges is uh, is starting because I, th I, you know, we all come from conferences or come to conferences like this, and we go, oh, I'm gonna do, or I wanna, you know, like you get God-inspired ideas for your life, but it's it's the first step that's often the hardest. It's like, how do I start it? And I think um, for me, the starting of Hope for Justice or the story of Hope for Justice is probably didn't help people to hear it because I started by booking an arena, so it seems unattainable. And it was, it was, it was, it was actually something that, looking back now, if I was to book an arena now, I'd be panicking. Um, uh, and I, you know, it's a, it's amazing how how wonderful. Um, uh, a lack of knowledge about something like that is. 
at the time. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, um, the hope, hope just to start with an event, but it's funny, the week after, um, it was just me in the office, Th three days a week. I, you know, I got nearly 6,000 people to the first event. And uh, I got this phone call, it was, I think it was live on God TV, and someone from, who'd watched it on God TV phoned the office. And I was in this, like, Andy Hawthorne gave me an office about that size, the size of the stage, which we've discussed isn't that big. <laughs> right? That's our extension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's great. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I got this phone call, and this woman, I answered the phone call, and she, I went, hello, hope for justice, Ben Cooley speaking. She went, oh, my gosh. Have I got your direct line? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sort of. It's the only line, you know. And, uh, you know, they all kind of thought like it was massive, like it was huge, mm. that we were this massive organization. It wasn't, it was small, it was tiny, it was just a. Uh, and I think one of the things to help you as starters is, is it starts off small, mm. and that's okay. That's why the Bible says, do not despise day of small beginnings because yeah, right. yeah. it starts off small like it doesn't have to be on a massive platform a massive starts off small it starts off by answering that phone call it starts by setting up little by little mm. you know I've we've now got hope for justice I've now got it to a point where like we're launching another office in Scotland this year and up in the northeast of England. I have three offices in the UK. I have one in Stavanger, one in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and then I have two aftercare facilities in Penang Penh, a school and a reintegration project. Probably employ over 130 people now. Wow. But it started with answering the phone. And often I think when one of the things about vision is, is that vision, when you see the vision, someone said, I can't remember who said it, but vision is a, a is the, a view of a preferable future is that um, a visionary needs to learn to segment that off mm. and so that you can set goals for the interim till you get to that. Mm. And it's that tension between the now and the next. Because yeah. um, a visionary always looks at the next and is always frustrated because they're not living in the next. So like when I start Hope for Justice, if you can just stay with this train of thought for just a minute, if when I first started Hope for Justice, I dreamed of having two offices. That was my next. If I had two offices, two locations, rescuing hundreds of people, that'd be awesome, right? By the time I got that, I was dreaming of five offices. And by the time I got to five, now I'm dreaming of 15 offices. Mm. And it's that little by little, but it's celebrating the now. I'm living in what was my next. And but it's not my now, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, sure. And I think a visionary, how, how someone copes with their calling is the little by little, but actually celebrating the now, because the now that you are living in was your next. Brilliant. So in terms of living in the now, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the projects, what they look like uh, for you? So for you, Martin, involved in, in worship, uh, what are you up to at the moment? What does that look like, living out this calling at the moment? Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's the amazing thing about God, isn't it? That it is always moving. 
you know, you, you never get to a point in your life, or you shouldn't get to a point in your life where, great, I've done it. You know, I've look at all these things that have happened. God's blessed me. God's raised up this, and great, I can, I can now chill out and play golf or whatever. You know, it's just not like that with yeah. God. And, and, and calling is like almost your life will collapse if you don't do it. Does that make sense? Mm. It's like God's got you so tightly um, and, and also you're enthralled so much by him that you, you cannot wake up the next morning unless you're pursuing yeah. what your heavenly father is asking you yeah. to do. So it just gets more and more and more. It's, there's not a point where it stops. And um, so for me, I guess, my life started with a prayer. Uh, I was 13 years old. I was sitting in church in a very, very traditional, boring church with a lady playing the church organ. She was amazing, by the way. That's not, I'm not criticizing that. But um, thinking if my friends from school ever came to this, they would die and I would die. All right. So I prayed just an audacious prayer, you know, which was, look, God, if there's any way I could be involved in being part of like church, music, Christian, whatever it is that this thing is, that I could help my friends at school like it. That was a really simple prayer, 13 years old. And so I set my course uh, on that, and, and I've never changed from that course. Um, and so there are seasons, you know, there are seasons where that's all big and you feel like you're influencing a lot of people, and there's seasons where you lay low a bit. Uh, maybe the f last five or six years have been like that. I've been transitioning into something new, and God's teaching you new stuff. I've got teenage kids, and so I'm... I, I, there's more to my calling now mm. than just music. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to, you know, lead things at church, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. Anyway, so, but that prayer about wanting God music to touch people, you know, outside the church would be what is running through my veins. Yeah. And so that hasn't stopped. Um, I think we're in another season where um, on a good day you can say that there are some incredible songs being written right now, the best ever in the history of Christian music. You know, you, there are just some incredible songs. And then on a bad day, I could think, oh, this is really boring now. You know, like the whole scene, you know. so. Uh, and that's not me being judgmental or critical, that's just my own reaction to it. I'm thinking, okay, um, where are those 14, 15, 16, 17 year old pe people out there that are gonna now turn this thing on its head again? You know, because we've been doing what we've been doing for 20 years now. Uh, drums, bass, you know, it's, it's fine, it's great, nothing wrong with it. But you're probably having those same conversations that I was when I was 13. It's like, this is all, it's kind of okay, but we feel there's something new coming. And look, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna probably be that person now who's gonna bring that fresh thing. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't really do that in the same way. 
but I can encourage it and I can get behind it. And in my own small way, I can also put my money where my mouth is. So uh, we, us guys that are playing tonight, we've also got another project called Army of Bones. And it's a bit more like of a mainstream band thing. We're going into small clubs with sticky floors. And we're just trying to be, in our own small little way, uh, a light there. And um, for me, it's, it's the same thing. It's taking the presence of God yeah. uh, to, to those places where I, I'm able to go. Uh, and I probably couldn't do that with um, I Could Sing Your Love Forever or Waiting Here For You. But I can do that with another set of songs that talk about how I've struggled in different areas of my life and pain and marriage and all that sort of stuff. So I can talk about that there. So my encouragement to you guys is, um, I think we got brought up with a theology where, certainly I did anyway, that if God gives you a gift, then it's sanctified. And it's, I was told that that was like, you basically that's just for church, right? You keep that for God. But I think we got a bit confused by that. Um, and actually I think the greatest sanctification of our gift is is that it's for the world, right? Come on. That it changes the world. It's not yeah. just for a Sunday morning meeting, yeah. is it? That's right. So I think for you guys, it's, um, there needs to be an explosion of this slightly different mindset of this, isn't, this next 20 years for you is not about just making church better. Right. You will make church better. It'll be cooler. It will have different expressions of worship. You'll get a different font on the logo. You'll do different things, whatever. That's great. You'll, you'll do all that and do it brilliantly. But what this is all about for you and the calling of God upon your life is how this affects your world, how this affects culture. You know, It's not about really just getting people anymore on a Sunday morning and getting experience. It's about really going as well. Mm. And what does church look like in a more lateral way in our cities? So, uh, look, I don't know what I'm doing really, but I'm just trying my best. And we've, mm. we're, we're, we're playing in these little clubs. Uh, so if we wanted to come and see you in the band this week? Yeah, where, we're where in Birmingham from? tomorrow night uh, at, a, at a venue called The Asylum. You're from Birmingham at all? There Come you go. on. We're at the Asylum tomorrow night, which is a great name, isn't it? Um, so, I don't know, I think we'll be on at nine, and then Derby, and then Leeds, oh, great. and then... Hull? No. Okay. No, London. A lot so, of disappointed uh, fans over here. But, you know... We need to look into for, that, I think. For me, there are some great moments. I love leading worship in church. It's a great passion of mine. And you feel those moments where God's in the room and yeah. you know, we all know that. My heart is to also have people that would never come to this experience that. Mm. And, and so, again, it's my own little way of, of doing that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Ben, tell us about the projects you're involved with at the moment. Tell us about Hope for Justice and what that looks like. Can I just say that it's really good. 
Good. I only have one office, though. Sorry about that. No. <laughs> I don't care about all that. That is so profound, yeah, what you just fun. said. No, wow. Like, um, uh, you know, you have such a great prophetic voice into the church, Martin. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like, we've, I, I, I've grown up with your music, grown up with, like, almost like we've sung and it's affected how we've thought as a church and history maker and all of the songs that you've written have affected hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, I think one of the most powerful moments, I, I, I've actually remembered where, where it was, it was at my church, Audacious, you said, um, you know, we got to a point where like all the lights were going and all the sound and all the videos were going and I was like, where's the presence of God? And I think there's, you are such a prophetic voice into the church and I just want to s celebrate a man yeah. that's had long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. He is that. He's kept on going on. And yeah. Yeah. I just want to honor you for that. We, we've been paying each other, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that cost me a lot of money, actually. I mean, it was... Uh, no. um, uh, and, and I mean it, so thank you. Um, uh, so I... Um, so, yeah, so we've got it now to a point where... I employ investigators, lawyers, social workers. Um, so in the UK, we have um, uh, three centers. So we work with um, predominantly victims that don't want to engage with the law enforcement because um, they are, um, they come from an area in the world predominantly where there's disreputable policing. So they just don't trust law enforcement. Um, so. So we, we help them. Um, if I tell just a brief story, if I can. Yeah. We realized that 61% um, <clears throat> uh, of the victims that we were rescuing back in 2012, when we just had um, an office in Manchester, um, we realized 61% of the victims we were rescuing from West Yorkshire um, went to the police during their abuse and were turned away and told it was a civil matter. Uh, I was including like um, a group of 13, uh, one of which was three years old in that group, and horrendously exploited in, in, in Bradford. And uh, West Yorkshire is the fourth largest police force in the country, right? And, um, and so we decided um, we would step up, step out, and we would set up an office there. And I took on the ex-chief superintendent of that area. Um, uh, to start an office. And in the first year of operating in that city in Bradford, we rescued 110 victims of modern-day slavery, the youngest being three months old and the oldest being 58 years old. And um, of that, 33 of them were, came from a factory that was making beds for some of the largest retailers in the UK. And um, we, um, <clears throat> we kind of went to the police and crime commissioner in that area and said, um, you know, like there's a significant problem. Can we help serve you? We're going to continue helping the individuals that don't want to engage with law enforcement, but um, we want to help you. And so we offered him three things. One, to train all his frontline police officers on how to identify victims of human trafficking and how to deal with victims of that crime. And in a four-month period, I think we trained over 4,800 police officers in groups of 50. 
Um, second thing that we did was set up a network for that area to start talking about where the gaps were in that system and uh, why the prosecution rates were so low. Third thing that we did was we set up um, a, me a memorandum of understanding with West Yorkshire Police that we would work on every single one of their cases and they would work on our cases. True partnership, collaboration. And we worked on this principle, it's amazing how far you can get if no one cares who gets the credit. So we gave them all the credit. Well, in a year of operating in that area, we increased the rescue rates by 190% in that city. Um, we did that again in West Yorkshire last year, in West Midlands last year. We launched an office into Birmingham, uh, and we increased the rescue rates by 127%, rescued 103 people. Um, so we're seeing that, and we're taking that model across the globe. So we've launched that. Actually, you were at our Norwegian launch um, uh, <clears throat> in the Bislett Stadium. Uh, we're launching that in Norway, in Stavanger, um, uh, and then we've just expanded into America two years ago. Um, can I just tell you one thing? So, like, I had this really God thing. Um, a few years ago, I was on this panel in, um, uh, in uh, uh, Virginia Beach. It's like with um, uh, TBN or something like that. It, was, uh, it wasn't TBN, it was something else. A 700 Club, right? And uh, we were on this um, panel, and uh, it was talking about human trafficking, and there was a guy next to me who was from the FBI, and he was arguing with me about how an NGO shouldn't do what we do, right? And he was like, you shouldn't do what you're doing. We're the FBI, you know. I don't know why I did a British voice for that. I was doing American <laughs> all day, you know. Y'all just want to do, stop doing that, right? And, um, uh, and I was like, well, you know, we're, we're doing it, we're, you know. And uh, he gave me his card afterwards, and, um, uh, and uh, I gave him my card, and then he emailed me. And then I, when he emailed me, I saw on the bottom that he was the head of the FBI, nationally and internationally, for all the FBI efforts on human trafficking. And uh, I've subsequently found out he reported through to Barack Obama, which intimidated me, because um, <laughs> I... Which I... You should find out who you argue with. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. My dad always taught me, don't start a fight, you can't finish. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, uh, he said, can you, he sent me an email saying, can you come over and, um, and uh, I want to talk to you about um, what you're doing. So I flew over to Washington, D.C., and he grilled me for three hours, just absolutely grilling me. And, um, and, um, and after three hours, he, you know, he'd done, and I, he said, uh, you know, I, I'm done now. I was like, phew. <laughs> relatively pleased about the fact that he finished. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then he turned to me and he said, you know, Ben, me and my wife have been praying and the Lord's told me that I have to come and serve under your leadership. Wow. And uh, he left the FBI and uh, came on staff at Hope for Justice and he leads our American wow. operations. And, uh, and like, just we've seen favor like that. I've got staff that, you know, I've got have 8,000 staff within the police um, and just amazing favor. Um, we've got, um, and then we've launched into Cambodia. So we do two-phased aftercare facility. We do um, a school and a, re a reintegration project that works with the families. So I, I love this project, right? So with the girls that are in our home in Cambodia uh, that have been sold into sex trafficking, as soon as they come into our home, we start working with their families back in the provinces on the issues. Our social workers go and work with them on wh why they were exploited in the first place. So some of it's because of poverty, some of it's because of lack of awareness. So we do social enterprise with them. I just bought, I authorized a payment the other day for like 50 chickens. 
Um, uh, so they could, and, and a moped, 50 chickens and a moped we bought the other day, which is amazing. So that the, when, after two years when she graduates through the school program, is that then she, her family are a more stable environment to go back to. And then as of last year, we launched a new project that takes um, uh, girls that have been rescued um, for the first eight weeks stabilization program. So we take pretty much um, uh, pretty much all trafficked children in wow. the whole of Cambodia through that program. Amazing. Wow. Um, so incredible. it's amazing, and we're launching into several other countries. Wow, amazing. That's incredible. Amazing. Um, for us as a vineyard movement, worship and, and, and justice and compassion are really, really central to, to us and for us. Um, what do you think we as individuals here, as, as local churches, need to do in order to lean more into the areas of worship and, and justice? Um, how do we, in essence, become better worshippers of God and better rescuers of men and women? Martin. <laughs> well, I don't know whether I'm the authority on that, but... Um, all I know is, is that if you uh, decide to commit yourself to like a local church, however that's going to be, you know, but you're, gonna, you're in, you're not a spectator, you're going to serve it, and for the sake of your own soul, for the sake of your community, for the sake of the family you're going to have one day, whatever, it's a great rock on which to stand, yeah. okay, so that's the first thing I would say. Um, and then what happens is that without you know, really realizing it, every week you're in an atmosphere of worship, you're actually, your heart is going up. Do you know what I mean? Your heart is drawn towards, you're being reminded every week that, oh, actually God, he's alive. You know, he's alive. I forgot this week, but I've just been reminded again that he's alive. And the fact that he is alive means that I can be alive. And it means that my city could, could come alive it means that wow there's hope for people there's hope for my family there's hope for the people that live down my street so you're reminded about all these things you see lyrics on a screen that are like um, you know our God is greater you think oh yeah brilliant fantastic I forgot that I forgot about that this week uh, you know I've got to pay a tax bill or something and I think God's going to come through so church is God's genius plan of like keeping us all in the right place. Um, so then out of that, when you worship your heart, keeps soft. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly our heart can go cold. Uh, and I'm telling you that from experience, it's just amazing, you know. You, you can, a few courses of events, someone might say something hurtful to you, there might be a wound, there might be pain, suddenly overnight your heart goes cold but your church worship giving your heart to God that's the thing that keeps you soft and when your heart is soft anything can happen that's where God God's got you in the perfect place and then when your heart is soft you love people you want to serve people you want to give your money away you want to give your life away to the calling of God you want to run down the street and you know give someone 20 quid that you've never met before, you end up doing crazy stuff, you know, because God can use you. Um, 
so I don't understand all the, all the other stuff that goes along with that, but all I know is that um, worship is so powerful. Yeah. And if, if, there's, if there isn't that in your life, you're never going to make it because then it's all just completely cerebral, you know, and your heart doesn't engage. So always make sure every day you're worshipping, you know. You're singing out something, you're whistling something, you're reading something, you're listening to something in the car. Just something that, you know, just keeps you soft, doesn't it? Yeah, that's great. My pastor uh, says that praise is the precursor to breakthrough. And I kind of think um, if we're going to see this world change, uh, worship is and honoring God and is one of the things that I think does do that. You know, Paul and Silas, when they released the slave girl, they got put in prison. And they decided in that moment not to, like, uh, talk about the terrible situation or complain or say, hey, you you all just, you know, I... God, what's happening, what's going on, you know? I'm just releasing a slave girl and you put me in prison. Woe is me. Was that the FBI guy? Yeah, that's the guy, yeah, that's the FBI guy. <laughs> I'm confused. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was in prison one day and, um, and, uh, and they decided in that moment to praise. And I think it, what's interesting is it says that everyone was watching them. And I think when we go through our trials and tribulations, as the people of God, of which we will have them. It says in Psalm 34, many of the troubles of the righteous. You know, here we are in our prison and everyone's watching us. And, uh, and then they decide to declare, they decide to lift the name of Jesus. They decide to worship and sing hymns. And then it says, and suddenly there was an earthquake. And, uh, and all at once it says this, every chain was made loose. What I see in these moments, which sometimes I find it difficult, like if I've been in a brothel or I've met some of the people that have been in, is how do you link it with this moment right now? You know, like when I'm, we're singing, you make me brave, or whatever song we're singing. I, sometimes I find it hard personally to go from different environment to different environment and say, God, like where are you in this, you know? And I realize that this gives me when I'm planted, rooted, established in the house of God, when I'm singing, it's what gives me the strength to see the breakthrough. And sometimes I've seen things, the impossible being done because I've worshiped through it, praised through it, declared through it, trusted God through it, and I believe yeah. that's what worship is. Uh, and then the other thing, just quickly, I think one, I love reading the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I think um, sometimes we treat worship and praise like I feel like praising, I feel like worshiping, um, but it never says in the Psalms, I feel like praising the Lord. It says, I will. Mm. And there's something about your will that you harness it, that you train it, that you go, I, I might be feeling this, but feelings are irrelevant right now because I'm gonna harness my will. Um, and I think that's what Paul and Silas did. They probably didn't feel like praising the Lord, mm. but they will, and, and your will and praise can see breakthrough. Yeah, it's amazing. It links with that. How have you guys navigated through failure in your life, personally and 
also in ministry. So when you've had tough times, I think one of the things with our generation is that there's a, there's a huge temptation to quit when things are going tough. And so how have you got through that in those times when you just felt like chucking the towel in or there's been a failure? Um, how have you got through those, those moments? Well, I think there are, there are two sorts of failure. You know, there's two, there's two levels to that. There, there's the, the sort of personal failure, you know, where there's a tragedy maybe, you know. Maybe there's been something in your life which has gone horribly wrong or that has deeply affected you and your family. I think that's, that's one, you know, that's a deep sense of tragedy. But then there's the level of failure which someone's just written a bad review about your record you know oh, like I failed so that's completely meaningless you know so I think there are different levels of that um, you know by the grace of God I've ex you know I've experienced lots of failure on a peripheral level you know where I've you know invested my heart into a piece of music and no one likes it or it's no, no one's bought it or radio won't play it or turned up to shows and there's four people there you know so loads and loads of that now you can handle that sort of stuff because they're not really in your life but if um you know by the grace of god you know it's I've, I've lived an incredibly blessed life where um, I married an amazing woman and I've got an amazing family and God's blessed us together. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, um, so if something happened close to home that, was a, that would be mind-blowingly difficult, but if, if all the failures that happen around you, disappointments, you can easily get over those if you're if your core life is good. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you, you're not really worried about, you know, as long as you, as you feel like you're doing the right thing and your family's together, yeah. you can sort of get through anything, really. Yeah, that's great. I think um, one of the acknowledgements is that you will fail, and that's gonna be okay. You know, like, uh, Sometimes I, I get really intense about failure because I'm like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to stiff it up, don't want to, but it will happen. And um, uh, but uh, I, I, I mean, everyone tweets this out: failure isn't um, fatal, is it, or final? And I think there's something that we all need to like really take heart that um, even the best of us um, fail. Um, but it's, it's those that choose the keeping on, keeping on. Um, it's about endurance. Um, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I did um, a few, back in the early days of Hope for Justice, I made some mistakes uh, that uh, essentially meant I got a phone call to my office from someone that was involved in the industry that I fight against. And they, um, uh, they threatened, they said, um, the words were, Ben's kids go to a great school, don't they? And um, uh, it's, uh, 
basically meant that I had to, me and my wife and my kids had to move out of our house. And um, uh, like they were dark days. You know, in, in, in Isaiah it talks about, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness. I felt like darkness. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, I took a lot of blame on that. You know, like um, I had to make a phone call to my wife that um, uh, it said basically, you know, I mean, the worst phone call I've ever had to make, get the kids from school. You know, it was terrible. And um, that was all because I, I probably didn't put the right investment into um, security processes and stuff like that. We were a little bit too gung-ho at the start of Hope for Justice. And um, it led to, to the worst few days, few, few weeks of my life, really. And I had to battle with that. Um, I don't know what you would think if you'd put your family in danger like that. Um, it was awful. Uh, and so I had to kind of remind myself who I was. Um, I had to get out of bed, because there's still times at Hope for Justice where I struggle to get out of bed. Um, I find it hard. Um, I don't find this an easy subject. I find criticism, it, it, it destroys me. And, um, and, and certainly in those days when it was on my kid's life, it was overwhelming. But I... Uh, I, I started to, to remind myself who I was in God and I just kept on going. Started to learn the power of prayer, praying for my family, praying for protection. Started to learn scriptures about who I was. I'm a son of the most high, I'm, a, I'm part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. Um, and uh, I kept on going. And I think that's what defines someone is, is longevity and it's why I, honor Martin, I honor the leaders that have gone before us, people who are close to us and people who've gone for generations because it's perseverance. Yeah. And um, it's those days that shape your character. It's those days that you learn who God is when you're in that valley. And I've been in that valley several times. Yeah. It's... Um it's noticeable, as you shared this morning, Ben, and that's what you said this afternoon, Martin, that family's really important. And I, I love that you emphasize that family comes first before ministry. How have you guys protected that? How have you um, made sure that there's margin in your life where you're looking after your family, even your own heart and your soul, and just make sure there's those rhythms there in order to persevere for the long haul? I haven't been great at it, actually. First few years, I, I, um, I was so consumed by the vision that I, even when I was at home, I wasn't at home. And that's easy for us all to do, I suppose, but I, I don't think, it's only in the last two years that I've really got this. I sat with a businessman who started a well-known brand um, and uh, he, he gave me some of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given, right? Uh, like literally, you know, he's got turnovers of like tens and tens of millions and thousands of staff and he said, Ben, 
Like, here's how the kids go. This is how it goes with your family. It says, five, 10, 15, gone. And how they go is how they'll stay in your family. And I thought, wow, you know, I've got to invest more in my kids. I've got to be back, you know, uh, home. And when I'm at home, I need to be at home. And it's been, a, it's been a real challenge for me. I know that Martin's modeled this, you know, far better than I had. But um, I, I don't think it's easy, because the problem is, is you get need to your door all the time. Yeah. People go, hey, I need this, I need this. And, you know, speaking engagements, you go, hey, well, that means I can get more people involved in Hope for Justice, and then we can grow it. And it's learning that it's the greatest revelation I've had for my family is that Hope for Justice isn't Ben Cooley's mission. It's God's mission. It says in Psalm 72, for he will deliver the needy and those that are trapped in violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. That he is not me, it's him. I've got to look after my kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd echo that. I think. Um it's trying to like have a long-term view as well, is that you, yeah. you, you got 24 hours in a day and we're human beings, right? We can't do everything. So it's learning to um, realize that, okay, God's called me to do this. He's in charge, uh, he's got it. Now, for me in my world, obviously there's a commercial element to what I do, so you know, it's selling records, it's being on the road, it's earning a living, it's doing this, it's doing that. So it's very easy for me to get caught up in. Ah, um, oh yeah, I've just got to, I've got to do that tour in America, because if I don't do that, then our uh, people forget about me. You know, do you know what I mean? Or there's some other artist that's really flying at the minute. I've got, to, I've got to be in there. But I think it's just sort of being sure of what you're about, what God's called you to do. Like for me, I have to remind myself that God called me to sing over people. He didn't necessarily call me to sell records or, you know, go on tour or sing to loads. That wasn't, that isn't necessary to the calling. It's part of it, but I've got to stick to sort of the thing. And um, I can't like have that FOMO thing, you know? Uh, of like, oh no, everything's around me is blind, and I'm not a part of that. Just to be content as well. I think, um, you know, for all the creative people in the room, and I will speak from experience, is that it's very hard balance to be passionate about your art and be really into it, whether it's a project, a painting, a photograph, making a record, whatever it is you're doing, it needs an obsessive element to it to make it great, okay, it does. It needs you to be completely focused. But the problem is, is that's always at the expense of your relationships. So in my case, it would be my wife saying, is that the same, you're home but you're not here. You know, hello, is, is, is there anybody here? And I've got like a new song running through my brain or, I just need that second line of that second verse and I've got it. And I think it's, uh, the creative thing's almost like, like having a mistress in your marriage. It's a, it's a very strange thing, but if you can like see it for what it is, 
It's just, it is what it is. Um, it's, it's, I'm called by God to do this, but I can control it. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to have an affair, if you can understand that language. It's attractive, I think it's brilliant, but it's, I can control that. Um, and I have to learn to control that because I'd like to still be married, if that's all right. Do you know what I mean? Good to hear. This is, this is the, the, you know, if you want to get to it. And I'd like to be friends with my children. Yeah. And I, so I like start to add up a big list of the things I would love in my life. Um, yeah, I'd love all those things. I'd like to, you know, have, be friends with all that. I'd like to have a house full of people and do life and like feed my soul and go and see a few football matches and do all these things. I'm not going to sell my whole soul to this thing over here which is telling me that that's going to make my life valid, that's going to validate my life. The ironic thing, the amazing thing I've discovered is that if, um, if I submit my life to God, keep my, Psalm 24 says you keep your heart clean, uh, your hands clean and your heart pure, right? So if you try and do that, none of us are very good at it, but if we try and do that, pursue God and put him first, then all these things seem to work out. And when I got married, I thought I was never going to write another song again. I was like, oh no, you know, that's all, all going to disappear. I need space. I need time, you know. I need to sit on a hill for three days and download from God. Actually, I feel like I started to write my best songs once I had kids. And my life was crazy, chaotic. We got six kids, it's mad, right? And I'm just trying to think, Lord, when, you know, when, am, I gonna, when am I gonna do this? You know? uh, but it, it's amazing. That's got the biggest reaction of the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> Uh, it's like, I don't know whether that was like, a, oh, poor guy, or like, amazing. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, it's great. I think, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things right. follow on. And yeah. I feel like I'm yeah. the most creative now than I've ever wow. been, and that's in the context of, like, school homework, parents' evenings, picking kids. It's just mad. Do you know what I'm saying? But within that madness, God's always gracious. Yeah. Yeah. He always, like... Here's a song. Have that one. <laughs> and it's a good one as well. <laughs> it is. That's great wisdom. I danced to it on the dance floor. <laughs> God's great dance floor. Um, our hour's up. Uh, I'd love it if you guys um, could pray for us all. Just kind of pray over us and uh, impart into us. And, and, and just before that, should we just give them a round of applause? Just be amazing. Great. Thank you so much.